Hi, welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. And I'm Marika Hart from Herosphere. Together we interview leading authorities, we answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information that we can find on all aspects of women's health. Please remember that the materials and the content on this podcast are intended as general information and they're for entertainment purposes only. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Now sit back, grab your favourite beverage or do your thing and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. It's Anthony Lowe here, the Physio Detective, and I've got Marika Hart with me, the trusty co-host, um, co-conspirator, partner in crime, I don't know, lots of <laughs> lots of fun things we do together. How are you, Marika? I'm very well, thank you. In the midst of school holiday craziness, as are you, I'm sure. Yes, um, luckily the craziness is not so crazy. The craziness these days is Amy asking me if she can take the car and me deciding whether or not I need my car. That's the craziness these days. Um, oh, teenagers. <laughs> teenagers, they do. Um, and yes, we do have Amy on the podcast today. Amy is my daughter. Um, and we thought it would be a great idea to have Amy be the guest co-host to interview our guest, Molly, uh, back on the podcast again. And um, it was really good because I asked Amy, I said, you know, what would you love to hear from Molly? And Amy came up with um, lots of great stuff, which she'll talk about in a second. Um, and so we thought it would be a great idea, asked Molly, Molly loved the idea. Um, so we're going to turn over the majority of the questions to Amy and we'll, you know, chime in every now and then, but, um, uh, we do have, uh, Molly here, uh, from Girls Gone Strong and, uh, it's lovely to have you back on the podcast. Always love talking to you, Molly. Um, where are you, where are you at the moment, actually? Uh, thank you all so much for having me. I am in Arizona, so I'm around the Phoenix area in Arizona, so I'm Mountain Standard Time. Normally, I'm like Eastern, so organizing all the time zones between Sydney, <laughs> Perth, and Mountain Standard Time. We we got it done, though. We found a good time for all of us. So, yeah, I'm here for a few months working and trying to enjoy a little bit of sunshine. And, um, yeah, but I appreciate you all having me back on. I'm excited, and I'm incredibly impressed with the questions that Amy came up with to ask me and to talk about and I can't wait to dive into them. Awesome. So without further ado, Amy, it's over to you. All right. Thank you. Um, Molly, I guess I would just first, um, well, obviously I've met you before um, when you and Casey and Sarah, I believe, came to Sydney and um, we got to go walk around and show you some of the sites. Um, and it was really interesting to um, meet you and hear some of your story and then go onto your Instagram and have a little bit of a stalk and see what you've been up to in your life before. Um, and I was really interested in your journey and your transformation from how you went from being focused on really like unhealthy eating habits and body image and how you've transformed that into being really positive. So did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'd love to share my story on that. So I'll try to keep it brief because there's, I know a lot of things that we want to tackle, but um, I was a competitive gymnast growing up from seven to about 12. 
And um, after that, I was a cheerleader for a little while, but at the end of high school and beginning of college, I got really sedentary and I had just awful eating habits growing up. I always joke that I wouldn't eat anything that wasn't beige. So grilled cheese, mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese, just like I, I hardly ate any vegetables. Um, I, my diet was mostly just foods like that. And, you know, I grew up in a household where my mom, um, a single mom, she went back to school when I was really young. So it was a little bit of a fend for yourself, do the best you can kind of thing. And I loved fast food and French fries and burgers and all that kind of stuff. So I ate that way for most of my life growing up. And at the end of high school and beginning of college, it caught up to me because I became pretty sedentary. And so in 2004, February of 2004, I was 19 years old and I decided I wanted to get in shape. And the catalyst for me was I was in college at the time and I was feeling like, you know what, I'm relatively happy with school and my friends and, you know, my teachers and my job and stuff. But the one thing that I'm not really happy with is the way that my body looks and feels. And that's the thing that I have the most control over. So I decided I wanted to get in shape. I started working out. I hired a personal trainer, worked with him for about six weeks. But as a poor college student, I couldn't afford to, uh, to work with him for very much longer. But I fell in love with fitness. And about seven or eight months later, I started dating a trainer at the gym, which was much more economical. I started getting all my training sessions for free. And uh, he was a competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter. So I was thrust into this world of intense exercise really quickly. And within a year, I was competing in powerlifting. Then I started competing in figure, did that in 2006, seven and eight. And after my last competition in 2008, something felt really off with my body and I started feeling really like unwell. I went to the doctor and I got diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroid disease. I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, PCOS, and some adrenal issues. So there was a feedback loop issue between my brain and my adrenals. So I'm 24 years old and I feel so physically depressed. I wasn't so much emotionally depressed, but physically depressed that I could hardly get up off the couch to get a glass of water. And I went to the doctor, got that those diagnoses pretty quickly, which is amazing because most women who have autoimmune disease and things like that, they see an average of like five doctors over five years before they get a diagnosis. So I was lucky to get that. But it was the first time in five years that my body felt out of my control. So when I started to get in shape, I was like, okay, I do this much cardio and this much exercise or strength training, and I eat this, and this is what happens to my body. But all of a sudden, I didn't have control over that anymore. And I had been getting so much positive reinforcement for the way that my body looked. Everyone, I lost so much weight and got muscular, and everyone was like, oh, your body looks so good. You look amazing. What are you doing? Teach me how. Um, and all of a sudden, my body rebounded, and I had gained a bunch of weight back. And I was feeling, uh, I remember looking in the mirror when I didn't even recognize my body. And so I was like, okay, well, I can't be the really lean, fit girl, so I'm going to be the really strong girl. So I decided to go back to competing in powerlifting. So I did that in 2009 and did that for a few years and um, worked with some phys physiotherapists and other people. I realized I had built a big house of strength on maybe not the best foundation. So I went back and kind of circled back to the basics and um, was things were going well. And then by the beginning of 2012, I lost my dad. Um, I found out he was sick on a Saturday night and he died on a Tuesday night. And um, about two weeks later, I was in the gym deadlifting and I injured myself and started having chronic pain. So I had chronic pain for two years to where I could hardly tie my shoes. I could hardly get in and out of the car. Um, I owned a gym at the time. It was really difficult to move equipment and demonstrate things for clients. And uh, it was really devastating for me. 
and I also left a six-year relationship. So I moved back home with my mom. So my dad died. I started having pain. Um, I left a six-year relationship and I gained a bunch of weight back. And it was the end of 2012 at a Girls Gone Strong meetup. Girls Gone Strong had been around for about a year at that point in time. And I stepped on the scale in the bathroom and I looked down and the scale was only a pound and a half different than it had been in 2004 when I had started my fitness journey. And to me, that was just devastating because it was a quantitative objective piece of proof that I was a failure, that I didn't know what I was doing, that I couldn't even help myself get results. And um, at the Girls Gone Strong meetup, I remember I was lying on my back doing breathing exercises and my friends were doing weighted pull-ups and deadlifting double their body weight. And I was just laying on the ground, just crying, thinking like, who am I to own an organization called Girls Gone Strong? Who am I to be a gym owner? How can I help people reach their goals when I can't even help myself? And it was really devastating for me. And the hardest part was by that time, I had an online presence as well. So I had YouTube videos and things like that. And I had my gym and I had people posting on my YouTube videos asking me what was wrong with my body and why I didn't look the way I used to. And I had a woman um, in my community tell other women not to come to my gym because they might look like me. And I had a uh, fellow colleague who was invited to give a seminar at my gym um, make fun of my body to the people that worked for us. And so it was really devastating time for me. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to get this under control. I'm going to go on another diet. And I decided I wanted to try to do that. And a few weeks into the diet, maybe eight weeks, I had sent a photo of myself in a bathing suit to my coach and he had sent me back my meal plan and he had removed my one slice of avocado that I got that day. And I started crying and I'm like, this is not the life that I want for myself. I don't want to be so obsessed with the way my body looks. I don't want to be, have some guy three states away evaluating pictures of the way my body looks in a bathing suit and telling me what food I can and can't eat. I don't want to be on this roller coaster where I only feel good about myself when I look a certain way. So I decided at that point in time, early 2013, that I was going to start my journey of feeling good in my body and feeling comfortable in my body, no matter how it looked or how it felt or what it could do. And it's been a long journey. I'm sure we'll get into the specifics of it. But over the last almost seven years, I've been working to heal my relationship with food and my body and feel really good and comfortable in my skin, regardless of how I look and have been helping women all over the world do the same and helping health and fitness professionals help women do the same. That, <laughs> it's a bit of a roller coaster journey. Um, so then what do you do now when you start to like spiral a little bit and start to fall back into bad habits and negativity? What do you do now to combat that? Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously feeling better in your body doesn't happen overnight. And by the time that I had started to start on that kind of self-love journey, I had been in therapy for about five years. Um, so I had a lot of tools under my belt for changing the way that I thought about things and changing my perspective on stuff. 
And so it's, you know, like anything else, it's like a foundation that you build over time that gets stronger and stronger. So for example, I've been in fitness for 16 years. If um, over the holidays, I have a few days where I eat significantly more than I normally do, or, you know, I don't work out for a little while, it's really easy for me to get back into those habits because I have 16 years of being consistent over time. And so to start kind of my journey to feeling better about myself, there were um, six really important things that I did. And the first one, these are great because they're really actionable and people can do them right away. And the first one was just starting to notice when I was saying negative things about myself, either in my head or out loud. And I didn't do anything with those thoughts. I didn't try to change them. I didn't judge myself for having them. I just started noticing how often I was thinking something negatively about my body. I was pulling my shirt up to look at my stomach in the mirror and judge, you know, how fit I was. I was comparing myself to another woman's body. I started noticing when that was happening. And I started noticing how often I was saying really negative things to myself. And at that point in time, I was like, you know what, I have to get clear on my values and who I am as a person and what I believe. Do I believe that, you know, women's bodies are up for judgment and scrutiny and commentary? And the answer is no, I don't believe that. Do I, I love Marika shaking her head. Do I believe that women are only worthy and valuable if their bodies look a certain way? I don't believe that. Do I believe that I'm only a good health and fitness professional if I'm ripped and shredded and the strongest person in the gym. No, I don't, I don't believe that. You know, do I believe these things? And the answer was no. So on getting clear on who I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up in the world was a, allowed me to see the misalignment in the way that I was talking to myself and the way that I actually, like what I actually believed and what I felt. And so that allowed me to start questioning the thoughts that I was having. So I could say, you know, I feel so gross today, you know, my belly's hanging over my pants or whatever. And it's like, okay, do I actually believe that there's something wrong with that? Or do I think that this is what a normal body looks like? If I'm wearing pants and they're cutting into my stomach, then my stomach's going to do that. You know, do I believe that um, I'm a worthless fitness professional because I'm experiencing chronic pain? No, 80% of people will experience chronic pain at some point in their life. And it's a really complex condition and it doesn't have anything to do with my knowledge or my ability level. So I was able to start questioning the thoughts that I was having and helping myself kind of reframe or rewire the way that I thought about them. And I was able to actually take my negative thoughts and slowly but surely move them over to positive. And it took a long time. It's not something that happens immediately. But an example of that is the way that I thought about my pain. So I'm a fitness professional. I'm in pain. This means I'm an idiot. I'm worthless. I have no idea what I'm doing. Okay. That's like the really negative thought. So to move it to like slightly less negative would be like, I'm in pain. This sucks. It's really hard. I wish that I was feeling better. Okay. Then moving it to neutral is I'm having pain. This is a normal thing. It affects 80% of people. And like, I know things that I can do to help manage it. And then slightly positive would be, I'm having pain. This is challenging, but it allows me to better relate to my clients. And then the really positive would be, I'm having pain. It's difficult, but it allows me to better relate to my clients. It's actually a gift. It's a signal from my body telling me something. It's, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's um, my body trying to protect me from something. It's my body being really smart or whatever, you know? So I was able to slowly over time shift the thoughts from negative to to neutral, to positive. And I was able to do that with all of the different thoughts that I was having. So first things they're noticing when you're having these 
thoughts. The second is to get clear on your values and what you actually believe and who you want to be in the world, even if it feels like you're not quite there yet. Then it's questioning um, the thoughts that you're having, and then it's slowly moving them from negative to positive. Um, and then it's focusing on a couple of things related to your body that have nothing to do with how it looks. So what can your body do, which is awesome, but also can be a little bit of a trap, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, how does your body serve you and what value to, do you add to the world outside of your body? So I love focusing on what your body can do physically. And I love, you know, lifting in the gym and I love, you know, hiking and I love doing all of these things. Um, if something happens and that gets taken away from you, then, you know, when, like it did when I had chronic pain, then that can be a little bit of the same trap. But focusing on how your body serves you outside of the way that it looks or what you can do. So, um, you know, sharing a good laugh with your best friends holding on to your partner's hand, nuzzling a baby, you know, watching a beautiful sunset, eating freshly baked cookies, like all of these amazing things that, uh, that your body allows you, ways your body allows you to experience life, I think are really wonderful for seeing your body outside of just an ornament or a decoration. Um, and then focusing on the value you add to the world. So how do you um, add value outside of your body? Are you really funny? Do you make people laugh? Are you inspiring? Are you passionate? Are you smart? You know, what do you want to do? Like, do you make other people feel good because you're so good to be around? Like there are all of these things that your body can do and all of these ways that you add value to the world outside of your body looks. So those were the really big things. And then curating my social media feed was really important. So paying attention to what images I'm consuming on a regular basis. So when I have those, um, I would say I don't spiral out of control very often, but I do still notice myself having negative thoughts about my body sometimes. It happens a lot less often than it used to, but I have so much practice stopping and asking myself, okay, you know, do I actually believe the thing that I'm thinking, or is this just like an old kind of pattern cropping up? What, when is this happening and why? Is it when I'm around a certain person? Is it when I'm looking at a certain social media feed? Is it when I'm consuming a certain type of content? Um, is it best for me to remove that from my life or is it best for me to build resilience so that I can see that and not have those feelings um, and kind of, you know, figuring out like, do I need to remove this from my life or is it something that I need to, um, to be able to see and not have those feelings about? And being gentle with myself and realizing that I'm human and like anything else, I'm allowed to have hard days and bad days and figuring out how I want to respond instead of react. And I think, you know, there's a difference in responding and reacting. Reacting is your immediate, like you think the thing and then you do the thing, right? Responding is you, you have the thought and then you say, hmm, what am I going to do about this? Am I going to change my nutrition? Am I going to change my exercise? Am I going to, you know, feel badly about myself or am I going to take the time to question the thoughts that I'm having and be gentle with myself and kind of bring myself back to center. So there are lots of different things that, that I do when I'm starting to have those, um, those negative thoughts, but I have so much practice pulling myself back to center that they don't happen as often and they're way easier to correct when they do start to happen. Right. Okay. Yeah, you touched on the social media thing, which was going to be my next question. But um, do you ever now still feel, <clears throat> sorry, tempted to Photoshop or Facetune any of your photos? And how does social media and Instagram, how has that affected you personally? Because it started to rise a lot when you were going through your journey. And so mm -hmm. how, how has that been a thing? 
Yeah. So it's funny. I, I, I actually didn't, I don't, didn't know what Facetune was <laughs> until about a year or two ago. So I don't have it. I've never used it. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. Um, in terms of Photoshop, you know, there's kind of like a, like people are like, oh, they Photoshop their photos. Well, like we Photoshop things at Girls Gone Strong all the time. We're not changing anyone's body. It's a software program that we're using to create a certain design, right? So you want to like be mindful when you're saying things like that. But in terms of altering the way that I look, I have not, um, I haven't really felt that pressure. I think because I was so far along kind of in my health and fitness or my like self-love journey when all of that stuff was starting to happen. And, you know, I realized that for me, like, I just, I just want to be okay looking how I look and showing up how I want to show up in the world. The altering of the images and stuff is kind of interesting to me because it's like, that's not like people can see you, you know what I mean? Like, like when people are like, like in real life, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want, I don't yeah. want social media, social media to be my life. And I don't want that to be the only place that I show up in the world. I want to live a full engaged, connected life with people all right. the time. And so I haven't felt a lot of pressure for that, but I see why people do. Um, and I understand where that pressure comes from. But I think for me, curating my social media feed and filling it with a really like diverse range of powerful women doing cool things who are different ages, races, shapes, sizes, ability levels for me has um, really expanded my perspective. And, you know, right. my feed is not filled with like Fitzpo, you know, Insta model celebrity, like size zero women, not because there's yeah. anything wrong with that, but, but I fill my feed intentionally with women who are doing cool things to inspire me in other ways. So um, on average, we see about four to 10,000 images every single day. And there's a media scholar named Jean Kilborn, and she says we only consciously process about 8% of what we see. The other 92% is processed subconsciously. So most of an image of what we see, we're not actually thinking about what we're seeing, but it's shaping the way that we, what we think to be true and good and right and normal and all that kind of stuff. So when your feed is filled with images of women who fit this like incredibly narrow, unrealistic um, perspective of what a body should look like, then that's constantly being reinforced to you. And here's the thing, even the women who have those bodies still aren't enough because the magazine still says, oh, we took uh, JLo's butt and Kim Kardashian's lips and so-and-so's hair and we made the perfect woman. It's like, even they don't measure her up, you know? Like, yeah. it's just, it's it's so ridiculous and it's a moving target. Like, when I would, I lost weight or, you know, leaned out or whatever, I kept thinking, okay, well, if I can just lose five more pounds, then I'll feel really good about my body. But I would lose the five more pounds and it wouldn't be enough. I always wanted yeah. something more. I always wanted something better. So um, for me, social media has, I've been able to curate my feed. So it actually has the opposite effect for me. And my feed is filled with really, you know, vibrant, powerful, smart, diverse women doing and accomplishing cool things. And those women um, are focused on more than what they look like. And it doesn't, this is not to say you can't care about how you look. I like to look nice. I like to feel like I look nice, but I know that it doesn't mean anything about who I am as a person if I don't you know, right. so, or if I, you know, if I'm having, if I wake up, 
I had a friend who we were going to, um, she was a co-founder of Girls Come Strong and we were going to film a video for Girls Come Strong a few years ago. And she's like, I got to do something with my face. I look awful. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. And she's like, I do. I didn't get any sleep last night. I don't feel well. And she's like, it, but it doesn't mean anything about who I am. It doesn't mean anything about me. And I was like, ah, she was able to objectively say like, I don't look good right now because I feel unwell, but it doesn't mean anything about who I am as a person or my self-worth, which is a really powerful shift for me because I thought you always had to be positive and you always had to feel good about yeah. yourself and, you know, things like that. Okay. So then in regards to the self-worth and um, self-worth and appearance and stuff, what would you give advice? What advice would you give to other people about how they can stop? letting their appearance and their weight and things like that affect their self-worth and their mood. And like, for me, um, if I am having a bad day, like I'm breaking out, I'm bloated, whatever, whatever, I, it really negatively affects me. So do you have <laughs> any advice to help out in that regard? Yeah. So I think the steps that I'm noticed in the beginning will help you and anybody kind of cultivate an overall more positive image of their body and um, feel like there are things that are valuable and worthy about you outside of your body. I think that's the biggest thing. When you yeah. feel like all you have to offer is the way that you look and your body, then it's really hard when something is not going well in or you know well in that department to not let that drag you down. Same thing if you if you wrap up your self worth in your work, right? Or your identity as a mom. If you put all of your eggs in any of these baskets, when something is not going the way that you want it to, it's really hard not to let that rock your entire boat. So I think for um, a lot of people, it's really powerful to realize, again, all of the things, all of the parts of your identity and all of who you are and what you add to the world outside of just the way that you look. So if something is not... Um, if something's difficult in one particular area of your life, you have all of these other kind of areas and things that help you remember who you are and the value that you add. So again, when I am having like kind of a day that I don't feel as good, um, I recognize that I can state a fact and not attach meaning to it. So that's kind of what I was saying about that thing with Nagar. So it's like, hey, I'm breaking out today. That's really frustrating for me, but it doesn't mean anything about who I am or how beautiful I am or what a good friend I am or how funny or smart or how much people like me. Like it doesn't mean anything about that. So it's like, I'm breaking out. That's hard. That's hard to deal with. I don't like it, but it doesn't mean anything about me. Um, being gentle with yourself when you do start to feel badly, figuring out how you want to respond instead of react. So just like, instead of being like, oh, my face is so gross. I'm breaking out. You can say I'm breaking out. Um, let me figure out what within this is in my control. Did I eat something maybe that I was having a reaction to? Can I put some medicine on my, on my face? Is this a long-term health problem that I'm having and I want to go see a doctor and do something about it? Um, and then do what you can to take note of how and when these things are happening. So again, if you're struggling with your body image when you hang around a particular friend, is that someone that you want to spend a lot of time with? Is that an issue that you have with them or is it, you know, like, like, why is this happening? And when is this happening? Are you feeling worse about yourself when you get done scrolling on Instagram? Like, when are, the, are you having these feelings and you're out like, do you need to remove this from your life for a while and focus on like getting and feeling good with yourself um, and making kind of that decision from there? Okay. So 
um about like I'm thinking now about my friends and the way that <laughs> we see like a lot of Instagram models on our feed um and like we'll send them to group chats and stuff and go whoa look at them um but is there like do you often notice that there's an underlying like negative side to like trying to celebrate people's bodies like when you are trying to become more resilient to the instagram models and not be as affected by them um do you often would that be an example of where the like the when you're processing the information subconsciously like do you think that would be a negative influence on young teen girls I think that, so what you're saying is, do I think that regularly seeing images of Instagram models and women with these really like ideal, quote unquote, ideal body types is an example of like a, something that could have a negative effect on the way young girls feel about themselves? Yeah. And then the particular like trying to celebrate them or trying to be proud of who they are and go, hey, you're being you, but like they use like perfection <laughs> to most yeah. people. Yeah, totally. So I'm not a fan at all of speaking down about or judging or being critical yeah. of anyone. So people make fun of Instagram models who always post pictures of their butts or whatever, you know, like I'm yeah. not down with that at all because my part of my value system is uh, body autonomy and women getting to do what they want with their bodies in a way that feels good and empowering to them. I don't know their situation. So like maybe posting those photos, they feel really good and empowered and, you know, like good in their bodies and things like that. So I try to um, be happy and excited for them celebrating their body and feeling good in their body in a way that they want to. For me, it's more about, um, exposing myself to a wide variety so that just because I'm good with them celebrating themselves and doing their thing and I'm not interested in judging or criticizing doesn't necessarily mean it's a healthy thing for me to fill my feed with so those two don't have to be the same thing I can give them the space to do what they want with their bodies and mm -hmm. I can do what's healthy and good for me in terms of um creating the separation between what they're doing with themselves and what I want to see in my feed on a regular basis. So there's a um, really interesting exercise that we have that um, is in one of our coaching certifications. And it's from a woman named Dr. Larissa Mercado Lopez. And she is a women's studies professor. And she said, if you Google the image fit woman, and you put that in Google, and you look at the images that come up, and it's like, the images that come up, they're pretty much all young, lean, white, um, you know, cisgender, appear to have access to like nice clothing and gym equipment and they're able body. They don't have any visible disabilities and they have visible abs and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, if you're interested in fitness, those are probably the images that you are pummeled with every single day. And so what is that informing um, your subconscious about what you think is good and true and right about what a fit body looks like. It's like it literally it's telling you there's only one way for a fit body to look. And if it doesn't fit in this really narrow box, then you don't belong there. And so mm. there's nothing wrong with those individual women's bodies. There's nothing wrong with them posting pictures of themselves. There's nothing wrong with them um, existing and doing what they want and, you know, being in an advertisement or whatever. The problem is when that's the, those are the only images we see. And then yeah. we see people in real life and if they don't even, it's like, like 
like real life is real life. You know what I mean? This is a curated photo shoot, dehydrated, like super probably dieted for 18 weeks image. And it's yeah. like, we see that so much. It actually distorts what we think is happening in real life and what we think women's body, like a quote unquote normal woman's body looks like. So I try to be really careful not to demonize anyone's body but simply to say for me to be healthy and have a good perspective on myself, I need to fill my feed with a wide variety of, um, like I said, ages, races, shapes, sizes, ability levels to help me get a more realistic perspective of what women's bodies look like. Right. I just wanted to jump in there. Um, I really, I really appreciate you saying that because I actually saw something Last night, there was a, do you ever follow Celeste Barber? She's an Australian comedian who does a lot of um, very mm -hmm. funny videos yep. and pictures. And she did. Side one. by sides of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, the whole idea is just, it, it's really a mockery of um, the photo shoots, the costumes that they wear, the positions they put their bodies in. And, and she's just fabulous. And I love her. But I did see yesterday, um, she did a side by side. And it was that, that bullying that went on for the model. And so many people commented like oh that model is so skinny she's disgusting look at her belly and i i, I was like oh my gosh what i mean attacking this woman's figure just made me feel so ill so i really appreciate you saying that you know it's either way we, we just we shouldn't be commenting on any woman's body mm -hmm. and how it looks and then and the other thing that you said was um just about the curating the feeds when I um, started following Girls Gone Strong, what I noticed was that the images were so different to what I had been exposed to before. Um, and it was really interesting to kind of recognise that, hang on, there's different body shapes in here, different races, um, tall women, short women, women with awesome big curly hair and yeah, um, different environments and I think the shock for me was that that seemed unusual, <laughs> that that was almost abnormal to see all that variety. And it, it really hit home for me that what I had been exposed to so often was very different to that. And I thought, oh my God, I didn't even recognize that as a health professional, that all I was seeing was just what you were saying, that very narrow, very narrow band of body shape and size and color um, until I, started following Girls Gone Strong. And I really appreciate that you've always, uh, well, the, the group has always made such an effort to, to source um, images that are so varied because you're absolutely right. If you can't, as a woman, see yourself represented in those images, you don't feel like you belong in a gym. You don't feel like you could possibly be an athlete. If you don't have ripped, ripped six pack, who are you to call yourself an athlete or um, a fit person? Because you don't fit that mold. Um, but a fit person can have a look <laughs> like so many different, so many different body shapes and sizes. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, back when I was struggling with my own body image, I remember seeing a meme and it said, um, it said, real men love curves, only a dog wants a bone. And I remember, I know, but at the time I remember being like, feeling a little bit like empowered by it because I have a curvier body and I'm not that skinny body type. And then shortly after that, I realized like, wow, I'm literally having to step on other women to elevate myself to feel this particular way. And that's when it was like, ding, 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 ding. Like, 
it's not empowering if we're having to disempower someone else or put them down to step on them to elevate ourselves. And so I do see that a lot. People think that, you know, making negative comments or poking fun at women with these so-called perfect bodies is okay because they're this ideal body shape or type. But I've, you know, realized over time that, um, you know, using, putting down anyone's body to try to make anyone else feel better is just kind of the same old, same old. Um, and, you know, saying negative things about women in thin bodies doesn't have the same implications as it does about women in larger bodies because women in larger bodies experience a lot more harassment, discrimination and abuse and things like that. But at the same time, I think it's important to recognize that anytime we're saying something negative about someone's body, whether it's she needs to eat a sandwich, you know, or whatever, like she needs to eat cheeseburger or whatever, we're, it's the same, it's a, a similar problem wrapped up in a different package. Right. Yeah, I just, as um, Mariko was saying that, I just realized that out of all the people on my feed that I see most of the time that aren't like memes or people I actually know in real life, Girls Gone Strong and like one other Instagram girl, I think her name's like Karina Irby, Arby or something. She's she's like a, a body positivity person as well. But I'm just realizing they're the only people, they're the only accounts that I see that actually are like a bit diverse in that Mm -hmm. um just out of curiosity I just wanted to know what you thought about the surge and the rise in plastic surgery and getting fillers and all that Mm. yeah that's that is a great question and it is a tricky one so again whenever I'm thinking about how to think about these topics I always go back to my value system because that is if anytime I'm acting or thinking or speaking out of alignment with that, things don't feel good to me. And one of my top values is autonomy, which is this yeah. idea of self, self-governance. You're in charge of you. I'm in charge of me. And so when it comes down to what individual women want to do to alter their appearance or you know, have surgery or get fillers or whatever, um, I don't feel like it is my place. Like I don't have any interest in judging Mm. that and judging what they want to do with themselves and their bodies. I do think that it is though indicative of it's a symptom, you know, for a lot of people, it's a symptom of this pressure to feel like women have to look a particular way in order to be worthy and valuable. Um, I've heard, you know, this idea that like, like men age better than women. And it's like, "Mm." I feel like men are just kind of allowed to age and women aren't really. Um, I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of the difference. Like you look at like a, you know, uh, Jennifer Lopez or Jennifer Aniston or whatever, who are in their fifties and like, they have like literally like no lines on their face whatsoever. And they just look all smooth and, you know, they look like 30 years old or 25 years old or whatever. And it's like, that's cool. That's fine. If that's what they want to do for themselves and their bodies. But the problem is, the negative repercussions they would face if they didn't do those things, I think are the bigger issue. So I'm not interested yeah. in getting upset with the individual people themselves. I'm more interested in how can we create a bigger shift in society so that 
those women who didn't do those things wouldn't experience those negative consequences. They wouldn't stop getting jobs. They wouldn't be paid less than their male co-stars. They wouldn't be mm. getting, you know, a female anchor, news anchor who gets replaced, you know, when she hits 35 or 40 or whatever, where her male anchor is allowed to, you know, be on the news until he's 70 years old. Like I'm much more concerned yeah. with like, how can we shift this kind of, these kind of massive like societal issues so that women don't feel like they have to do those things in order to be valuable and worthy. Right. Yeah. That's a good take. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, so then in relation to the more being positive and loving yourself, then the aspect of like actual health comes into it and whether or not like when you're overweight or obese and you're more likely to get lifestyle diseases and die earlier and all the very long health problems that come with not being the healthiest weight and all that type of thing um where do you think that the line or whether or not that should be talked about publicly um into body positivity movements because um so many people they either like more now they're starting to celebrate their bodies of not being like size two or four or whatever um but then there's people like lizzo and ashley graham and the whole jillian michaels lady and their whole drama that's come up and i was just yeah like wondering what you and what dad and marika also think about that as actual health professionals as well like where do you think that that should start being talked about like where's the line for how much you can celebrate someone's body before you start actually like getting concerned for them or whatever been waiting to tackle this one <laughs> i'm so yes. glad molly's taking this because i was like dang that's a good question oh it's a good question so I have a lot of thoughts on this. And before we dive in, I want to be really clear about differentiating what the body positive movement is with feeling positively about your body. Because it's my understanding that the body positive movement started as a social justice movement in the 60s by um, mar women in marginalized bodies. So women who were larger, women of color, yeah. women who were on the margins, who were experiencing oppression for the way that their body looked and the body positive movement started to help them um, increase representation and have access to clothing and good, you know, healthcare and things like that. So the body positive movement is actually not supposed to be for women in quote unquote, like normal, thin, fit bodies. The movement, uh, the goal of the movement is to, like I said, increase representation and access and awareness and decrease um, stigma, harassment, trauma, things like that, that women in marginalized bodies experience. So there's that. And then there's feeling positively about your body, which is different. Now the body positive movement has kind of shifted and been co-opted a bit over time by people who just want to talk about feeling good in their bodies, um, which is also a really valuable thing, but it's, it's not the same as the body positive movement. So there's that. And then when it comes to, um, you know, I get this question a lot in terms of like, 
you know, health and size and what do we think about people like Lizzo who are being celebrated in their bodies. So one thing that I think is really, really, really important to recognize is that a lot of us, because we've seen such homogeneous images of the way that bodies are supposed to look, a lot of us have like internalized um, this kind of like anti-fatness or fat phobia or fat bias the same way that we have internalized racism or homophobia or other like kind of like discriminatory biases that we have even if we don't recognize them so that's one thing that i think is really important um the other thing is that you know i think we're we because of that we are so focused on someone's body size in terms of of determining their health and it's impossible to determine someone's health based on how they look so back when i was doing my figure competitions and i looked really fit and lean i was getting so much positive attention and affirmation for the way that my body looked and i was riddled with autoimmune disease pcos adrenal dysfunction i wasn't sleeping well like i was actually in really poor health but no yeah. one ever seemed concerned about my body because i fit this this ideal body type of thin and fit and lean and things like that so i think that's really important to recognize i also think that again we have such a narrow perspective on what health looks like that it has to look like this particular body type but very few people are asking or thinking about the aspects of health that are outside of weight or body size. They're not thinking about, does this person have a good sense of community? Does this person, um, are they they able to live their life free of harassment and abuse and discrimination and weight stigma? Um, Do they have meaning and purpose in their life? Do they love what they do every day? Do they have people in their life who care about them? Do they have access to good healthcare? Do they have access to fresh foods and fruits and vegetables? Do they have a space that they can move their body where they feel safe and, you know, aren't likely to be in danger? Or, you know, do they feel welcome when they go into a gym or are people staring at them and snickering at them and laughing at them? So I think that, um, again, because of these really homogeneous images that we see of health and fitness, we forget that health and fitness as a really like, as a there are a lot of factors that factor into it. Like, are we worried about their stress levels? Are we worried about their sleep levels? Like there's so many other things to take into account than just their body shape and size. So I, I like to help broaden people's perspective when they're talking about that. Um, and also I, you know, like to point out like people don't, people weren't concerned about me and my health back when I, when my body, when I was very unhealthy, just because my body looked that particular way. And there's one other thing that I was going to say, and it just flew out of my head. Oh, and then my role as a health and fitness professional is not to police people's bodies or health. No one owes me their health. So when I think about what is my role as a health and fitness professional, my role is to um, role model good habits in all of the ways. So it's to role model moving my body in ways that I enjoy on a regular basis. It's to role model having a healthy relationship with food that includes vegetables and protein and ice cream and French fries and, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's to, you know, role model getting enough sleep and managing my stress and having purpose and meaning in my life and surrounding myself with a strong community and going to therapy on a regular basis and you know it's to role model all of those things and then to help my individual clients reach their goals so my job as a health and fitness professional is not to tell someone what they should want for their body but to find out what they want for their body and help remove the barriers to help them get there so figure out what their goal is figure out what habits they need to do every day to build or on a regular basis to build the skills to reach their goals but to help to let them be the 
one who's in charge of their body and the one who's the authority on their body and to kind of guide them along the way to get there. So I don't feel like my role is to shame anyone, tell them what they should want for their body, judge what their body looks like, tell them they're unhealthy. My job is to figure out what their goals are and be their guide along the way to help them get there instead of telling them what they should want for their body. That's, yeah, that's interesting. I don't hear a lot of people talk about things like that or, um, yeah, just anybody say stuff like that. This new perspective. <laughs> um, so then about the, like, the different dimensions of health and all that, um, do you think that health professionals in general and more like should be encouraging the like health as a holistic type thing. And instead of every like individual kind of aspect of it, just promoting what that part of it of health is. So like the physical health, like instead of just the doctors and the, I don't know, nutritionists and all those people, instead of them promoting the, this is what you should be doing to be healthy. And then the like mental health people promoting the good mental health and everybody doing it individually should um, organizations and just health professionals from each specialized area be working together more to promote the holistic health. I love that. I, you got a big thumbs up for Marika. Marika, did you want to add anything to the, my last answer before we dive into this one or did you, or Anthony, or did you all feel like, I covered it. Well, it's a, that's an interesting um, question, Molly, because do you remember that conversation we had walking along in Melbourne? And I, I said to Molly, it's sometimes tricky as a physio because we know things like if a woman is obese and she has uh, incontinence, losing weight can actually improve symptoms. Or we know in, in the sort of arthritis world that, you know, for instance, there's a stat like if, if you lose five kilos, um, it can represent a pain reduction of 50% or something like that. I'm making up the figures, but it's something like that. And so sometimes in our role, it's actually we, we want to support people to lose weight because it can actually help their symptoms. And um, I'd like to think that I'm relatively um, supportive and encouraging in trying to get people to sort of find their way there. Like I would never say to someone, I, I, I used to work with an orthopedic surgeon. He'd like, you're too fat. I'm not operating on you. You need to lose weight. Not, like I would just never do that. But I, I asked Molly, you know, how would you go about this conversation? And it was such a, it, it was really, it was, it was so helpful because it was a really, it was a coaching moment for me. So mm -hmm. you were coaching me on how to coach somebody. And I remember you were sort of saying that you could basic that for me as a physio, I could sit there and go, okay, so these are the things that have been shown to be really helpful based on my experience and based on the research. Where would you like to start? And, and giving them, and they could sit there and go, okay, well, oh, actually, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to build up my muscle strength. I'd say, great, let's start there. Um, and, and it was very much that sort of, yeah, coaching opportunity to present the options and based on their their goals and based on our professional knowledge and experience come together to find the best way to move forward and I, I found that really helpful. Yeah I, I love that question Marika and so to be clear she was saying was it a, a, like symptom someone comes to me with incontinence there's a evidence that suggests that they lose five kilos that it may improve their symptoms mm -hmm. and so right I think that was the scenario. Well, yeah so incontinence or pro, um, prolapse it can help prevent progression and but arthritis it, um, there's been studies that 
certain amounts of reduction in, in, in weight can directly mm -hmm. result in reductions in pain as well. Yeah. So to give a really specific example, if someone comes in and they have one of those conditions and Marika has the opportunity to say, okay, great. So the really good news is there are several things that you can do that have been shown in the research to help you, you know, reduce your symptoms or reduce the progression of this. Here's what they are. You know, it's being active in this particular way, you know, getting more sleep, drinking enough water, losing five kilos or whatever. So you name all of the things and then say, what specifically, where would you want to start? And that way they have the, the knowledge so that they can make the decision for what they think is going to be um, most achievable for them. You know, some people like to start with the easiest thing and some people like to start with the thing that's going to have the greatest impact because that motivates them to keep going. So giving them the opportunity, sharing the facts with them, sharing the evidence and science with them, and then giving them the opportunity to make those decisions and not making it about pushing weight loss on them. Um, but giving, you know, giving them the information to, to make an informed decision for themselves. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, in the non-women's health world that I often inhabit, um, the pain science world, you know, that there's often this whole, I call it a paternalistic patriarchal type model where we know what's best for you and this is what you need to do and this is what the science says. So this is, and like, you know, we need to switch it upside down um, so that you know our role becomes more like a consultant and a lot less like I am I am your carer I am your parent and I'm going to tell you what you have to do um, so I 100% agree with that and I'm really really good at it in my professional life most of the time and with my daughter in <laughs> attendance here I suck at doing that in my personal life um, so, so, you know, this is accountability, um, you know, I, I have to keep working on it with my kids and, you it's know, and opportunity. yeah, and it's, it comes from a purely, I just want the very best for them and it's not healthy, uh, the way that I do that. <laughs> um, so yes, anyway, I just thought I'd confess at that time. It, I, what I really love about what we're getting from you, Molly, is, um, we're hearing a lot about um, you talking about your values and how it's from your values you make the decisions to respond to the different issues that come up. So Amy's asked lots of great questions, um, and they really are Amy's questions. Um, lot, asked lots of great questions, and, um, and it comes back to your values, what you want for yourself and how to relate to other people and what you want for people around the world, a, a context and an environment that they can, that we can all exist together in. Um, and, and that determines your response. Have I, have I understood that correctly? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. because you know, that's, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that that's exactly right. And I've found that when you operate in misalignment with your values is when you tend to struggle or not feel good about the decisions that you're making. It's just a great filtering system for decision making and how you want to operate and how you want to show up in the world. Yeah, I 100%, 100% agree. There's a lot and in there. I love, <laughs> I, I love Amy's question about this idea. And I think you, um, uh, I think you were starting to get at this, Anthony, a little bit, but just, uh, well, 
one thing that I want to say earlier is I have a friend who's a Mark Fisher, who's a health and fitness professional. And he likens being a coach to being like a Sherpa who's going to like take someone on a hike up a mountain. And he's like, I've done this before. I know the way I can't do the work for you, but I can figure out ways to lighten your load or guide you along the way, which I really kind of love that idea or that example. Cause the person still has to do the work. They still have to do the climb but you can direct them and um, help them and kind of like, you know, help them along the path. But I loved Amy's question. And I think it ties in to a lot of what we talk about um, in our pre and postnatal coaching certification that Marika helped us with in terms of this interdisciplinary holistic approach to women's health. And so, um, you know, I, it is important for all of us to operate within our scope of practice and to be specialists in these particular areas in which we specialize, but also to have enough knowledge, a broad enough general knowledge base to know um, about other aspects of women's health and who else we might need to collaborate with or who else might be part of a woman's healthcare team. Because as health and fitness professionals, at least as a, as a coach or a trainer, I'm a certified strength and conditioning specialist. We're on the front lines of really important conversations with women and we see them a lot more often than they might see their OBGYN or even their general practitioner. And we develop these close relationships with them and have the opportunity to help them identify when something's not right. You know, uh, if you're working with a woman who's recently had a baby and she's, you know, eight weeks postpartum and she's still um, feeling really weepy or experiencing just a lot of, you know, difficult emotions or she's having a hard time being consistent, making infections, maybe she, those are symptoms that she's experiencing postpartum depression or something like that. So I do think, Amy, you were at like, health and fitness professionals figuring out how to work together to help women um, have the highest chance of success of overall health and improving client and patient outcomes good at and then also understanding who else your client or who else a woman might be working with um, is is a responsibility of a health and fitness professional to understand and to develop a network of other professionals that they can refer people to in order to make sure that they're staying within their scope of practice, but making sure women are getting the help that they need from the professionals who, uh, who they may need help from. It's funny you're talking about developing the, um, the network. I literally just got a text or oh, well, a Facebook message from somebody in our, in our coaching and training women group and who had watched the pelvic health course. So Girls Gone, at Girls Gone Strong, we do a lot of free courses and I recommend everyone just like get on the mailing list because there's so much amazing information that is completely free. Um, and then of course there's the paid courses, which I'll, I might ask you in a minute, Molly, if you want to just talk about the um, pre and postnatal one, because that's opening very soon. Um, but this person who had gone through the pelvic health course and then messaged me privately and he said, love that course. I really want to, this is a fitness professional. I really want to connect with some pelvic health physios in Melbourne. I'm in this area. Who do you recommend? And, you know, that's quite easy for me to go, oh, well, look, you know, here's some people you can get in touch with. And I know some of these physios will, will, be, will be so happy to hear from fitness professionals and say, hey, you know, um, I'm more than happy, happy to help you with your clients and feedback some information on, on, on um, things that you can do to support that person in the gym so that we can work together. Because you're absolutely right, Amy. Um, it, it really does need to be a multidisciplinary approach and that we're all, we're all really there to, to lighten that load and to support the woman and really help her getting back to doing all the things that she loves. Um, so that, yeah, no, no, that's a really, really good point. 
Well, do we have any other questions for Molly or? I, I did have one. Yeah. I did have one. All right, I'm a parent and we agree that I can do a much better job. Um, <laughs> um, Look at Amy. Well, I she's... love Amy's face in this. She's just like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Um, I... Like, both my wife and I are unfit. Um, we don't have good uh, eating habits. And, you know, like, you just look at my family and genetically, medical history-wise, like, you know, I just see, you know, the whole loaded gun environment pulls the trigger or vice versa. Um, what's a positive way for me to remind my kids about some of the choices and the mistakes that I that I and we have made um, what would be because you know it comes out negatively you, you, you know just ask Amy uh, she'll tell you um, in what ways can I show my love in a positive way reminding Amy and my kids um, about why we want them to be healthier and make choices or to avoid the mistakes that we made really um does that sound like a fair question amy you can nod you're on the screen <laughs> uh yeah i guess so <laughs> so what was so you feel like i want to get clear on this question I feel like doing the best job of role modeling the habit habits that you want them to have Fair. What and Anthony wants to get out of the nagging, you know, if you do this, da, 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 da. yeah, because it gets taken. Like, I don't, you know, I'll probably say something like, You will end up like us, but the message that's probably conveyed is, You will be fat. Um, whereas I'm fairly conscious not to use those words, but you know, the message no, lands. Guys, you guys just say a lot, Do you want to look like us? And so you kind of instilled a fear of being more than a size eight in me. Yeah, that's a really Which, tricky yeah. one, you know, because I think that we we have the word fat out to be a bad word. You know what I mean? We it didn't it we've made the word like fat is literally like body fat. Like it's a it's a thing that exists on our bodies, but we've made this idea we've demonized this idea of being fat to where when we call someone fat or talk about someone, it's like we've, we've, it's the worst thing in the world. Like it's insult. You know, I actually know a lot of women who are reclaiming that word and talking and calling themselves fat as a descriptor that doesn't necessarily have a negative connotation. So, you know, I think that Anthony, it's, I try to be mindful of uh, giving parents advice because I don't have children myself. And so I think that that's a really, um, important thing it's really easy for me to be like oh well then you should just do this you know what i mean like but i'm also not a parent 24 7 dealing with the dynamics that come with having that parent child relationship you know um feeling maybe exhausted or worn out like it's really easy to sit on a like a pedestal as a single person with no kids it would be i, I would do it if i had a you know if i so again i think um you know, trying to be mindful of the way that you're demonizing certain body shapes or types is really important. Um, I think, you know, it, it is difficult if you are not 
um, modeling the lifestyle behaviors that you want your kids to, to like do or to participate in. Um, you know, possibly if you feel like you want to make some changes for yourself, things that you do as a family, um, you know, maybe have a vegetable eating challenge and be a challenge of getting to sleep every night or a challenge of eating more slow at dinner together is a really, really good one. There's this amazing meme and it's like, what to do if your child is overweight, what to do if your child is underweight and the things are actually the same. And it's starting with a small amount of food. It's sitting down and eating together as a family. It's putting a wide variety of foods on for them to try and it's eating the meal slowly and not making too big of a deal out of what they eat or don't eat. You know, it's kind of like the good, um, the actions and habits and, and things that you do for good health are kind of similar regardless of where you fall on the spectrum. You know what I mean? Um, there are some like some changes that you can make based on like what the person are. But I think it could be a really good idea for you and your wife to to figure out like, okay, are there changes that we want to make that we want to role model for our kids and being really mindful of the way that thinking about your, you know, your own bodies for them. And again, I know you're doing it because you love them and want, want the best for them. Um, but I would be mindful of the way that you're speaking about bodies or or instilling a fear in them of what it would be like to have a particular body shape or size because again you can you you know i don't know your your history your health history whatever but you can be healthy in a wide variety of body shapes and sizes and ultimately you just want your kids to you know be unhealthy and live a full meaningful purpose-filled life regardless of you know their body shape or size so thank you it's uh, <laughs> you know we respect your opinion and whether you have kids yeah. or not, it doesn't matter. Um, I think just having kids just makes your, your um, what do you call it, your buffer get a lot smaller. <laughs> <laughs> it shortens the fuse. <laughs> um, yeah. But yes, beautiful. Um, do you want to tell us about, did you have any other questions, Amy? Um, any other comments um, about what we've covered so far? Not really. The only the only questions that I had were that were still like a bit on the edge were just about like advice for what people can do when they're feeling like the pressures. What? But then again, you kind of covered it, Molly. So I don't know. Everything's basically been covered. So mm -hmm. it's it's just using similar skills and it's in different scenarios. Yeah, it's like, um, kind of the strength and conditioning or whatever are the same. It's just like, what scenario do you apply it in? You know what I mean? Like you notice what's happening, mm -hmm. you raise awareness about it, you um, question what your values are and what you, you know, like how you want to show up in the world and who you want to be. You choose to respond instead of react to things. You're gentle and compassionate with yourself you question if the things that you're actually thinking and feeling are true and you surround yourself or curate your environment to be um, healthy for you based on how you want to show up, who you want to be, how you want to feel about your body, things like that. Mm. Molly, one thing I think you were going to circle back to was um, falling into that trap of what, of putting a lot of value on what your body can do and then 
when that goes wrong, for instance, if there's an injury or something else happens, how that can actually impact negatively. Do you want to, I know, I, I know we've had you for so long, but do you mind just quickly going through that? Yeah, I can give like a minute or two synopsis on that. So um, it's really popular right now because people are trying to shift away from the, um, their, you know, feeling like their body has to look a certain way. It's like, don't worry about how your body looks. Just worry about, you know, focus on what it can do. And it's like, that's great until it's not. Um, because anytime you put all of your self-worth or um, purpose or, you know, identity in something that can be taken away from you, you are at risk of that thing being taken away from you. And that's what happened to me when I was like, well, if I can't be really lean. I'm going to be really strong and start lifting and then ended up getting injured and having chronic pain and wasn't able to do that anymore. So I just want to caution people. I do think it is, um, it's cool and valuable to celebrate the things you can do, but I would caution to our entire identity to be wrapped up in that because it is fleeting, you know, none of us can escape aging, none of us can escape, you know, inevitable injury or something at some point. So at some point, your body's not going to be able to do the things that it once could. So I just want to caution people to um, not get so wrapped up in like, I don't care how my body looks, I'm just worried about what it can do. And try to again, broaden your identity, your self worth, the things you um, think are important and the things that you are in the world and yourself and your body and such. So that was all. I just wanted to get clear on that because it's really popular right now. That kind of sense, who cares what body looks, just worry about what it can do. And it's like, that's the same old, same old thing, just like with a different, you know, different name, different cover on it. So that's fantastic. Thanks. Thanks, Molly. Um, one of the ways that um, our listeners can uh, support Marika, support us on the podcast as well is um, through purchasing uh, the courses on GGS. That's one of the ways that uh, we, you know, we openly tell people that's, that we do get um, some money from that. That's, that's uh, very important in our values that we let people know what's going on. And one of the ways that we actually love supporting uh, Girls Gone Strong uh, and being associated with with you, Molly, is precisely exactly what just happened on this podcast. You're awesome. We love what you do. We love the values that you um, inspire all of us to um, to have as well. And and you know, I feel like there's lots of alignment in what we do, which is um, sensational. And and um, thank you for everything that you do in that. Uh, can you tell us about the enrollment that's opening up really soon, the pre-postnatal certification? Yeah, absolutely. So I appreciate you giving me the space to talk about body image issues because they are so important. We know that 80% of, or 81% of women in the US and 80% of can women in Canada report being dissatisfied with their bodies. And 85% of women report opting out of important life events because they don't like the way that their bodies look. And as I mentioned before, fitness, health and fitness professionals, physiotherapists, we're on the front lines of these conversations with women about their bodies. Um, they'll often say things to us that maybe they wouldn't say to other people. They um, open up and share with us how they're feeling. They share their goals. They share what they want for themselves. We have an opportunity to help shape the way that they feel about them in terms of, you know, are we assuming that weight loss is a goal they want to have? Are we only complementing the way that their body looks? Are we using phrases like uh, bone on bone and unstable and weak and fragile and things like that when we're talking to women about their bodies? Like we have the opportunity to 
um, have really valuable conversations with women. And even in the small things that we say, like, how do we talk to them about pain? How do we talk to them about resilience? How do we talk to them about their goals? What are we assuming they want for their body? Are we complimenting, you know, their work ethic and how strong they are and, you know, what a, uh, how consistent they've been showing up to their sessions, how much effort they've been putting in. Like we have the opportunity as health and fitness professionals, regardless of whether you're a coach or trainer or a physiotherapist to have a really positive impact in women's lives about their bodies and their body image. And we also have the opportunity to do some things that can cause some harm. I think it's really for us to um, regardless of what profession you're in as a health and fitness professional, it's important to learn the types of conversations that you should be having with your clients, how you should be speaking to them, how you should be approaching these important topics. So at Girls Gone Strong, um, we create a ton of incredible evidence-based interdisciplinary comprehensive information for women and health and fitness professionals. And we do this in a number of ways. About 99%, 98, 99% of the information we create is free. We have not like 900 articles, a dozen free courses that Anthony has helped with some of those courses. Marika's worked on a significant amount of them. We have a brand new one um, that just came out that Marika uh, worked on and was recently called The Ultimate Guide to Training Postpartum Women um, that teaches health and fitness professionals how to work with women. And then we also have our paid certifications. And the one that Marika and Anthony are talking about is our pre and postnatal coaching certification that, again, is evidence-based, interdisciplinary, and comprehensive. So it covers um, pre and postnatal specific coaching, psychology, female anatomy and physiology challenges across our, um, throughout pregnancy and post-pregnancy, um, pre and postnatal specific nutrition, exercise, postpartum recovery, rehab, exercise programming for women who are pregnant and postpartum. And it was worked on by an interdisciplinary team of PhDs, pelvic health physios, pre and postnatal fitness experts, OBGYNs, midwives, doulas, nurse practitioners. So it's this incredible resource that we've put together. And like Anthony said, um, you have the opportunity to enroll in one of the free courses. And I guess I'll make sure you all have the links to do that. Those are totally free. They will always be free no matter what. If you end up enrolling in one of those, then you also have the opportunity to um, learn more about and enroll in our pre and postnatal coaching certification. So we open enrollment to that twice a year. The enrollment opens February 4th for this one um, for people on the pre-sale list. So if you join the pre-sale list, you have the chance to save up to 33% and enroll before the general public. So we have thousands of students in over, oh gosh, 70, thousands of students and grads in over 70 countries at this point. Um, we limit enrollment when we open it so that we can best serve our students, uh, our new students and our existing um, students and graduates. Because uh, once you're part of it, you have unlimited lifetime access and support um, from our team, from awesome experts like Marika Hart, um, like Dr. Helen Colius, who's a PhD, Kel Carolina Belmeres, who's a doula and pre and postnatal fitness expert. So you have access to it via people who develop the curriculum. So best things to do if you're interested in learning more would be to enroll in one of our free courses. And again, I'll make sure Anthony has access to those links that he can share in the show notes. And um, hopefully on his social media. And um, then if you like the type of information that we provide in there and you're interested in taking the next step and learning a little bit more, um, you can consider enrolling in our pre and postnatal coaching certification, which opens for enrollment February 4th. And if you do that, a portion of the proceeds will be reinvested back into Anthony and Marika and help support um, the podcast, which is really cool. It's an amazing way to 
um, support Auntie and Marika and the awesome work they do, um, get more information, you know, gain the knowledge, skills, and tools that you need to keep pre and postnatal clients and patients safe, healthy, and strong, and support the Girls Gun Strong movement and the work that we do. So I think that was clear and gave people next steps. That was that was a lot of a lot of talking there. <laughs> That was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Um, I guess this is the wrap up. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you to Marika as usual. And thank you to Amy. Um, you know, proud parent moment, as well as deathly scared of what she might have said. Right. So that oh, you s yeah. <laughs> um, but thank you again, Molly, really appreciate uh, having you on and um, and look forward to seeing you hopefully at some stage this year. Um, you know, I'll be I'll be in Kentucky. So uh, I know September, right? Yeah, yeah. I should be there then too. And Marika's talked about coming to the states, so that could be pretty exciting. And yes, Amy, your questions were amazing. Thank you so much for those. They were very so thoughtful and um, just like really good deep questions. And uh, I'm very impressed that that you came up with those and you did a great job of, um, of asking them and, and being on the podcast. Is this your first time on the podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You did awesome. 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 I'm glad we got to connect again. And yes, uh, Anthony, hopefully I'll get to see you and or Marika here very soon. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, for all of you listeners out there, please share it amongst everybody. Please hit subscribe, hit like, um, do all those things. I was having a joke earlier. Once we hit a certain number of subscribers, I'll reveal what's behind the curtain or, <laughs> you know, all those sorts of things. But um, thank you again. And uh, until next time. Well, that's it for this episode. Be sure to hit like if you enjoyed the episode and leave any comments or questions below. We'd really like to hear from you. If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified when we release our next episode. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.